Hey everyone, and welcome to Meander with Maddie. I'm your host, Madison McGlone, and this is a podcast about pathways where I'll speak with guests of all shapes, stages, and ages, sharing about where they were headed, the crossroads they faced, and the path they're now meandering. Today, I'm thrilled for you to join me for my very first interview with my good friend, Linda Hexter. Linda and I met within the past few years while we've been living together in Tampa, and we bonded over our love for running. But Linda is much more than just a runner. She is a true endurance athlete. She has biked across the country, hiked across the country, and has even lived in a few different cities along the way, all of which we discuss in this interview. Her sense of adventure and commitment to it is exactly why I wanted to have her on the podcast. Her literal journeys have influenced her life, her relationships, her mental health, all of which we dive into together. I've spoken about these moments with Linda on our countless runs and hangouts, but it was really great to just sit down and go through all of the planning, prep, highs and lows of these adventures she's been lucky enough to have. Thank you again for joining in, and now please enjoy my first episode with Linda Hexter. So I am joined here today with Linda Hexter, and I'm really excited that you are so eager and willing to be my first interview, which is really awesome. It just speaks to how good of a friend you are. And we're going to talk about a few things, the Appalachian Trail hike, the bike across the country that you did, living in different places, endurance sports in general. And I've kind of introduced you a little bit already, but curious if you want to just Share in your own words, you know, where you call home, what you do, whether it's for work or fun. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me, Madison. Um, I never thought I'd be asked to be on a podcast, and I'm really thrilled to be here. And especially as your first guest, it's super exciting to explore this new hobby with you. Yeah, I'm Linda. I'm 26. I call Tampa home, or actually now Wesley Chapel, which is a suburb of Tampa, but it's all the same thing. I just recently moved into an A-frame cabin in the woods, which is very exciting. I have a big yard for my dog now. I work remotely as a financial analyst for a defense contractor, and I like to spend my free time usually hiking or hanging out with my friends like Madison and just exploring Tampa Bay. I love that. Well, we're going to first talk about your background with endurance sports and just adventuring and hiking and running. You know, you're also a marathon runner, which is really cool. And you've just done a lot of different endurance adventures and sports in your life. I know we talked about this a little bit before you came on and you were saying that you kind of had an epiphany reflecting before you were going to talk with me about how you realized it's not necessarily a sport that you're most interested in. So what would you say kind of draws you to those things and if you even see them all related to one another, you know, hiking, running, cycling, doing all these endurance activities? Yeah, yeah. I was really glad that you sent me that question ahead of time because I had to really think hard about um, how to answer it because I realized it's not really the sports that I'm drawn to. I'm not drawn to the athletic um, action. I realized that I got involved in all these sports and adventures as a way to kind of seek mental clarity. Um, mm. A lot of these things are meditative for me. Yeah. And I'm someone that cannot sit still ever. Yeah, I, I, can't. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> like our friend Cynthia meditates every morning and I think that's so admirable. And I've tried it and failed miserably. Um, But yeah, so I got into these things and these long-term adventures as a way to seek 
mental clarity, mm-hmm. both in a daily way, um, just living through a single day, like aware of my surroundings, but also seeking answers in my life about where I wanted to be heading, um, sorting out goals yeah. and figuring out who I was. And I, I thought that those journeys would help me do that. And I think they did in, a, in different ways than I anticipated. Okay, cool. So when would you say was the first time that you maybe realized that some of these activities brought you that mental clarity? Because uh, obviously you were in sports for a while, maybe, I don't know how young you started playing sports at, but you know, it's not like you signed up for the middle school soccer team or something even younger thinking, oh, this would be great for my mental clarity and my mental health and decision making. So. I think in college, I started running for fun mm-hmm. more than I had before. Um, you know, before college, I did team sports and stayed busy that way. But in college, when I would need a break from studying, I'd just go out on a run, and it would help me sort through math problems in my brain. And <laughs> I That totally makes sense to me. When I was running in high school, sometimes if I didn't have my teammates with me, I would just repeat things I needed to study for for my tests, specifically for social studies when it got really hard with like AP tests and stuff, and I would just think through the era, and like vocab words would pop up, and then I would ask myself if I could define them, so... Yeah, and just nerdy nerdy kids on their runs and I think it's scientifically proven that like movement helps your brain function. Yeah. So that's why you should always get up and walk while you're mm-hmm. working your corporate job so your brain's always fresh. Alright, so in college you started running and then shortly thereafter or during you participated in the bike and build yeah. bike across the country challenge, which is the first thing that we're gonna talk about. And what year, that was 2016, so where were you at kind of in life when you heard about that challenge? Yeah, so I was coming up on graduation from Mm -hmm. college, uh, and I didn't have any real plans for after graduation. I applied to a few jobs, but wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and wasn't really eager to start working either. Um, yeah, I, we can all relate. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of or us. at least I hope people can relate because I feel like people go into the job right away because they feel you know that's what I've been working all four years for. But it's good to take that time. When else? When else would you ever have that time to do something like that necessarily? Right, right. That's kind of what I figured, and I um, was really grateful to my parents for supporting that decision and and to the people that helped me fundraise for the trip that I was able to take three months off before you know, settling down and, and finding work. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was dating a guy at the time who had signed up for a different bike trip that okay. was across the country. That's how I got the idea. I started biking with him and realized how cool it was and how much farther distance I could cover than running and yeah. see more of the city. So you're living in New Orleans at yeah. the time. Cool. Which we'll talk about that later, all the different places that you've lived in, which is awesome. So you're in New Orleans dating someone they tell you about the spike challenge that they did or are planning to do and that's how you learn about it so you had to learn about it a few months prior to applying and signing up right because there's a whole process that we'll dive into about yeah the you know getting picked for this opportunity yeah yeah i started looking for my own trip to go on probably in november of 2015 gotcha i had to train for was it seven eight months ahead of the trip I also had to fundraise $4,000 to be able to go. The trip is geared towards benefiting the affordable housing cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just a bunch of uh, college kids riding across the country. It's also yeah. focused on a charitable cause. But yeah, I worked all through senior year getting ready for that. 
that was really exciting and a great way to see parts of the city I'd never explored before. And when you talk about the cause, is that something that you picked for that reason? Kind of, was there a draw there or was it just, okay, this is one that fits with what I'm looking for in terms of the trip itself? Or was there something about the cause that spoke to you? Yeah, yeah, there's a few different uh, causes that you can bike across the country for. There's one for MS, there's one for cancer, mm-hmm. like medical research. I picked affordable housing because I had been involved with the affordable housing cause since I was in middle school. Okay. My mother was um, really active in the community and specifically with that issue in Virginia. And so I worked with Habitat for Humanity as an intern all through high school. And I was just very familiar with that. Nice. So when I was Googling bike trips and I saw this one come up, I was like, oh, that's like right up my alley. I would love to get more involved with Habitat. Wow. And ha- you had to fundraise $3,000 or was it? I think it was 4000 4000 Okay. What did you go about, you know, to do for fundraising? I actually went back to my hometown and gave a presentation at my church and the people from my church were just super generous wow. and that took care of most so of it. So that one event really covered most of the fundraising. Yeah, which is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That scares me the most, which, wow, maybe I'm having my own epiphany. The fact <laughs> that like biking across the country doesn't scare me, but like raising $4,000 because I'm afraid of money, but that's a topic for another time. It's tough, um, right? Like I, I And like asking like, people for money. You know, I'm going on this awesome adventure. Like I yeah. am, I'm helping people for sure. Of course, but, but also, that nags like, at you too, I'm sure. Yeah. 80% of the fundraising went directly to affordable housing gotcha. organizations. That's another good fact to know. Yeah, 20% yeah. was left over for the cost of the trip. Of the trip, yeah. yeah. And I was doing a little bit of like reading beforehand, so it said that I covered... Um, your meals, your shelters, but you are also paying for the travel to and from your start and final destination, and then also obviously the gear. So your shoes, your bike, helmet, gloves, I'm sure there's a million other things that go into biking that I am just not aware of, but that's probably an, another maybe like $1,000 or so that you had to spend on your own. They actually provide the bike. They have, oh, a, they okay. have a partnership. So when they say gear, it doesn't mean the bike. Yes. It just means other stuff. I started on a different bike training. I actually started on my mom's 1967 Schwinn nice. training on that, and that was hard. <laughs> so you trained at home in Virginia, you would say, for the most part? Yeah, like on fall break and stuff. That's really yeah. started, and then I bought oh, a bike. so you started it pretty far out, because yeah. this, this, I'm guessing, isn't starting until July of 2016, or maybe Yeah, it was, it was June of 2016. June. okay. And then I bought a bike as a intermediate step in New Orleans for training, mm-hmm. um, and then I got my official bike and build bike once I had met the fundraising nice requirement okay so that was an that was my first adventure was putting together the bike yeah because they shipped it to me not put together oh my gosh you know I think I remember you telling me about the and I broke the derailleur trying to put it together which was no I wouldn't even know what a derailleur is I didn't either (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy okay Wow. So going back to the fundraising, because that started that whole little meandering tangent there. So the fundraising is something that scares me. I've thought about, you know, just as we both like to run, like running maybe a marathon, you know, Boston, something that it's hard to get into, like getting into the Boston Marathon, fundraising, that's a big draw for people who are not going to get that BQ necessarily. And I thought about just doing it for a particular cause because I think I would like to push myself because, again, that scares me more than necessarily the physical feat does, just asking people and putting myself out there. And then also, what if I don't hit that? And then, you know, being on the line for potentially 
three and K and that's really great that you just got it through that fun one fundraising gift. Do you know yeah. other people like what they did once you met the people who were on your, you know, group of cyclists? Did you know it what they did to raise? It was a mixed bag. Some people just paid for it outright. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because they felt uncomfortable or they didn't have the community yeah. support that I was fortunate to have. Yeah. Other people fundraised way more than the goal. Some people fundraised up, I think, to twenty thousand wow. dollars on my team, which is incredible. You're you know, young like that, you forget that people seek out ways to give back to the community. Yeah. And when you have disposable income as an adult, like if, if someone younger than you asks you for help, like, I think it's a good opportunity. Did that scare you at all? Like, did it, was it daunting to you at all? Or you just thought, okay, well, I want to do this so bad, I'll figure out the rest. Uh, it was scary. I had, I definitely didn't think I would meet my fundraising goal in that one yeah. event, but... I was blown away. That's so great. Sure. I think you did a you went about it well too because if you're in a community event like that, just I, I'm I'm picturing you know walking to the church, seeing you like you said maybe being older, having some more disposable income. Why wouldn't you want to donate to a cause, especially if you have a connection to that person? You know, you're a member of that community so it's going to create that kind of mom mentality in a good way hopefully where it's like you know we're all going to rally around linda and we're going to make sure we send her off and support this cause so how long was your presentation would you say Um, i just got up at the end of mass and went up to the um front oh so it was quick it 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 wasn't like a come come at six o'clock on a thursday it was was sunday service right there i think they gave me like 10 minutes okay it was a a little bit of a pinch but um no Fortunately, nothing like massive I had to put on. And when it came to getting the gear, going back to that, did you know much about, you know, long distance biking, cycling, <laughs> no, anything, what, really. what you would need, any of that? No, no. Um, I knew how to ride a bike, obviously. But <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> um, there's so much to it that I didn't realize when I signed up for the trip, yeah. like clipping in your shoes so that your feet are attached to the pedals. That was a, a whole new thing mm-hmm. for me to learn. I still don't even like doing like when I when I've gone to bougie cycling classes in New York and they make you do that. There's not maybe a shoe rental option, or you have to have the cycling shoes. Maybe you can rent them, but they still they can't be just your regular you know sneaker. Uh, that scares me. I don't know. It feels so foreign. I don't like it. I feel very trapped, and, and I'm a stationary. I'm not even going anywhere, so I've never even done that with a you know, an actual road bike. Yeah, it was one of those things you have to just admit to yourself that you're going to fall over at least a couple times. Yeah, that's true. And be, like, mentally prepared for that. And, and So it, it doesn't come as a surprise. Yeah. Like, okay, I know this is going to happen at one point. Yeah. That's a good attitude to have. I, I don't think I have that attitude with most things. It was difficult, you know, and it was kind of like at that point, well, it's too late now to back yeah. out. <laughs> but it not that I would back out because of the clips but did you get most of your gear new did you go to you know an rei or some type of sporting store to help you pick it out i think i got my helmet at walmart thank you walmart um shout out walmart (laughs) (laughs) not sponsored (laughs) um i got the shoes that the team recommended they're mountain bike shoes yeah that that seems like a smart decision yes they also recommended the lights to get um they had like a whole supply list of recommended gear we got these lights that were super super powerful for safety how long were you biking in the dark for at night in the rain and inclement weather was that a big part of your trip fortunately not very much we had to bike in the dark a few days out west uh, when we were doing 100 mile days because we had to get up at like 4 and start biking because of the heat yeah because of the heat and in a 
to be able to finish on time. Yeah. But they were really focused on safety, and if it was slippery conditions or lightning or, you know, anything sketch, we just didn't ride. Mm -hmm. There was flexibility in the schedule for that. Gotcha. And speaking of schedule, how long of a bike ride was it? About 3,000 miles, right? It's... I think it's 3,800 because we we did a kind of winding route. Yeah, got some sightseeing in. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure there's highways you have to avoid and things you can't cross. Exactly. Uh, So our route was Maine to Santa Barbara. Wow. Like we dipped through Texas. So kind of diagonal and then a little further south almost. Like a V almost. Okay. Um, Oh, wait, maybe I'm not realizing where Santa Barbara is in California. It's it's, it's up there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly don't know California well, so. <laughs> but yeah, so the whole thing was two and a half months. Like wow. Ten weeks, I think. So I knew it was going to be long, obviously. That's not something you can do in a few weeks' time, you know, a few days, a few weeks' time, but that long is crazy to be riding day in and day out. Did you, did you take any breaks? Yes, so every, I think, four or five days, we took a day off to build with Habitat or another... Um, so you're still doing physical stuff. Yeah. You're yeah, not resting. A build day. I think we had, you know, five or six just total rest days throughout the whole thing. You know, the build days were laid back. We'd work for six or seven hours and then yeah. we'd have the rest of the afternoon off. Going back to the application process, what I noticed was that you had to do 15 hours of volunteer research with a organization that did similar work to Habitat. What did you do for that? Yeah, I worked with the Habitat chapter in New Orleans, um, down in the Ninth Ward, and that was really cool. We, I remember we put down some sod. They were just finishing up a build down there, so we were doing the yard work, the landscaping. Um, and that was an area of the city I had never really been to before, uh, so that was neat to spend a good chunk of time there and get to know some of the, the local people. I also did a build day in Charlottesville in my hometown over one of my breaks, um, so that was neat as well. And I actually got to work with one of the teams that had already left for their trip. So the central U.S. team had already biked from Yorktown, Virginia, and they were stopped in Charlottesville to do a build day, and I got to meet up with them. So are there different groups that go different times of year? Yes, yes. So there, at that year, I think we had eight teams going um, like throughout the course of the summer. So the earliest team starts the beginning of May, and then the latest team starts at the end of June. I think now they're down to like three teams, but back then they had a lot. So it's generally over the summer, though. There's nothing else throughout. They have shorter trips. Uh, like regional ones? Yeah. Okay. And ones for alumni um, to go back and do. So your team, where was everyone coming from? How big was it? What type of people did you meet? Was it was it all twenty somethings who just had off for school mostly? It was there were thirty of us total. I think the youngest person was nineteen. I was twenty at the time, and the oldest person was maybe thirty two. Okay. And they were one of the leaders. So I think they had an age limit where you had to be twenty eight or younger to be a rider. Okay. And then like 35 or younger to be a leader. So no one over the age of 20 could do it? Not as a rider. You could be a leader. Did the leaders need to have completed it beforehand? Or could I just one they, day be like 36 and sign up to be a leader if I become an amazing cyclist? They didn't have to be 
alumni to okay. be a leader. Uh, they are really selective, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, especially for leading people down these crazy roads and knowing a lot about bike safety, I'm sure, yeah. and what to do in an emergency situation. And they have such a great alumni network, and you know, it's such an enjoyable experience the first time that so many people want to go back and do it as a leader. Wow. So. And for the 30 people, did you get to know like who it was beforehand? Did you connect with them? You know, I'm thinking of like going to college or something. <laughs> you maybe meet your teammates for your athletic team or just like your class and those obnoxious Facebook groups. And then you're like judging all these people before you go onto the, you know, the bike ride. That's what I would do. It's probably is terrible, but it's funny to see like what you would think of someone and then you meet them in person and it's completely different. So did you know anybody before you went on that group or had a way of finding them out? Or was it all just, you know, you get there and it's... We could see faces. each other's bios on our fundraising pages. Oh, okay. Um, and we could see how much... Everyone uh, was doing. Yeah. So there was a little competition there. Nice. At least from my perspective. <laughs> but that was the only thing. We didn't have any kind of group chat ahead of time. Yeah. So you could read about everyone, but everyone like looked way different in person than I imagined. So um, we all met for the first night at a church in Portland, Maine. Um, and that wow. was the night before we started riding. Nice. Yeah. And how did you feel that your training had done once you're, you know, you're in that church, you're waiting for tomorrow when you're going to go out and do upwards of 100 mile days, you said? How, yeah. how, how far was it on average and what did you do to prepare for that? Uh, the average day was, I think, 70 miles, maybe a little less than that. I felt surprisingly prepared when I got there because I had overtrained a bit. Um, I think I didn't need to do as much riding as I did. I think yeah. I ended up doing like something like 800 miles ahead of time. Wow. Just because I really liked it. And <laughs> that's great. Okay, that's crazy though because obviously you really liked it. But like, oh, I just did like 100 miles. I did 50 miles. 800 <laughs> miles. That's a, I mean, it adds up That's quick. almost a quarter. Actually, I'm bad at math. I'm not going to. Let's not do that that quickly. But that's a good chunk of what you're doing out there in the country. You know, yeah. that's, that's pretty far. So Wow, 800 miles. So I was and pretty used to my bike at that point. How, before getting on your bike, like first day of training, how long have you ever biked before? Because I'm thinking maybe I've done Bayshore here in Tampa, and maybe I've gone on a trip and done it a little bit farther than that. Let's say 15 miles. And I know obviously you cycle still to this day, so at this point you've said you've done 100 mile days. What had you done before that training period? Before I started training, I think the most I'd ridden was maybe like five miles, you know. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you were starting out at a pretty even base that anyone might have, just yeah. your leisurely type of biker. Yeah, I was okay. by no means a cyclist. And yeah, going back to like how it wasn't really the sport that I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to be an avid cyclist. It yeah. was more like the adventure. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And then how did it feel when you're out on the road? scary sometimes especially in the northeast really because because oh, of the roads yes because everything's so tight everything is tight in the northeast yeah. there's a lot of traffic there's not a lot of bike lanes did you cut across so you're coming down through maine you cut down through new hampshire massachusetts mm -hmm. did you go through new york like north of albany i mean imagine that you can't dip no i think we did dip and then we went like going closer through the city yeah, not through the city, but, but closer around to it. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, wow. Pake and then we ended up in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie? Yeah, that's not too yeah. far from New York. Context, yeah. I'm from New York, so yes. that's not too far from New York. Like an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah, so we crossed the Hudson. It's beautiful up there. Yeah. Me asking if you were sore is kind of under, you know, understatement of the century. But 
how did that feel to be that sore and to have to keep going? Did you just kind of get hard into it at one, one point and just accepted it? Or did it always feel... This is going to sound obnoxious, but I didn't really feel sore. Okay, it might sound obnoxious to other people, but I know you now, and I know that you're such a strong athlete, so that, that doesn't sound obnoxious. Do you think that other people struggled with it? Some more people than you did. did. Like, were you that person where it's like, you know, I hate Linda because she's finishing every day, and she's not in pain, and everyone else is struggling? It, it was all part of a, the learning experience for everyone figuring out each other's um, preferred speeds mm. and level of fitness. Did you have to stay together or if you were biking faster than someone, could you go ahead? You had to stay in a group of five. Okay. So yeah, because obviously you can't have 30 cyclists on the road at one time yeah. in a cluster. But, or it was like five or six, but it was flexible, but you don't want to be all together in a line. Yeah. That's dangerous. But yeah, like learning how to get into those groups and manage everyone's opinions and emotions was... Mm. Um, difficult at first for everyone interesting um because you know when you're in a bubble like that and you don't have to worry about work you don't have to worry about your family the little things matter way more mm. and things can get really dramatic really quickly oh, man. because that's all you have to do that day yeah and huh. having to manage other people's emotions i wouldn't have even have thought that that was part of the process yeah did that sour your experience or do you think overall it was still a good experience i think overall my team was really great and i think we all realized quickly that there's no point in making drama because we're together 24 7 for 10 weeks and we all are different people Mm. but we're all like-minded and that we have the same goal would you say that there was a lot of friendships was it like relationship stuff that was the (laughs) drama or was it more like friendship stuff i think it was honestly mostly about speed Hmm. that caused the most drama a little power dynamic maybe yeah um because there were that those limitations on how many people could ride together. Would you ride with the same people each day? It varied, uh, but I think I, in general, rode with about maybe 10 or 12 of the same people. So, and then not the rest of the team. Yeah. Are they still people that you would say that you stay in touch with? Yeah. They're some of my best friends still. I'm still traveling to visit them. We're all over the country. Um, but they're all really good people. They have led interesting lives since that trip. I'm yeah, sure. I bet. I mean, I feel like your life has just been interesting. I I don't think anyone who signs up for that would live a non-interesting life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're all adventurers. It's like next month I'm going to the Cayman Islands to visit one of the girls. That's awesome. Right after the trip, she's decided to leave the country and move there. So leaving that trip, like you said, it inspired your fellow cyclists maybe to make some big decisions. Did it inspire you to do anything? Yeah, actually. I decided to move to Boston three weeks before the trip ended because I didn't have any plans after the trip except a trip to Europe I already had planned. Oh, wow. Um, So you (laughs) finished the bike trip. How how many days before you went to Europe? Uh, Let's see. I had a month in between the end of the bike trip and the Europe trip. And when I finished the bike trip, I actually took the train back across the country, which was cool. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I've always wanted to do that. I'm a slight, slight train nerd, transportation nerd, I guess you can say. Yeah. So that's cool. I decided to move to Boston um, to stay with a man that I met on the trip. <laughs> Very nice. That, that was a, a good souvenir, as I like to say. Yeah, he was quite a, a large takeaway <laughs> from the trip. And I do been to, honestly, I, I thought we were going to talk about the cities at the end, but let's just dive into it. So at this point, you grew up in Virginia, you went to college in New Orleans, 
two pretty different, you know, depending on who you ask, they might say, oh, they're both in the South. If you ask maybe a New Yorker like myself, <laughs> and then you ask someone there, they would be like, oh, I don't know about that. But still different, even though maybe regionally have some slight similarities, maybe. Thoughts on all of that? Like, did you, at that point, did you like, you know, go into different places? And yeah, Virginia was all, is kind of my home base. Yeah. And I think it's, I see it as a very average, safe, comforting place and maybe that's how everyone views their hometown Mm -hmm. um but that's like my normal right I would say so I would also think though you know a place like New Orleans or Las Vegas if you said okay that's my hometown I think objectively that's a yeah or a more out there kind of place so I would probably say yeah everyone would say that but also Virginia yeah it's kind of you know vanilla not in a bad way or it's safe yeah it's beautiful there's not a whole lot going on there I grew up in the country but so, yeah, I see New Orleans and Boston as like the opposite ends of the spectrum surrounding mm-hmm. Virginia. And I really enjoyed living in those wildly different places because I learned about my own preferences um, and learned about who I wanted to be. But in the end, I, I, I have ended up back in a house in a neighborhood that is very similar to my neighborhood where I grew up. It's just in a warmer climate. Yeah, it's just in the swampland of Florida. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not a little swamp, but yes. more or less. <laughs> so, Virginia, New Orleans, Boston, back to Virginia, and then to Tampa? Yeah. Okay, yeah. got it all right. Nice. That's really cool. And then you're in Boston in end of 2016. You decide to do the Appalachian Trail, which, if anyone does not know, is a cross-country, so we went from cross-country biking to cross-country hiking, except this is a little bit of a different route. It's 2,109 miles from Georgia to Maine. Each year, thousands of people attempt it, but only one in four hikers that start the AT, as it's also referred to, actually complete it and make it. So I don't know if you knew that, Linda, but you are a, a quarter of those who try to start out this hike. Pretty cool. I think it's a higher stat for women. If you, if you. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a like, good point. If you look at just women, the, if there's a higher percentage of women that finish, which is interesting. Oh, there's a higher. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking the opposite, which is terrible of me to assume. No. I thought I heard you say that. That's really cool. Hmm. Yeah, and Why? the reason is because our bodies are built to maintain fat better, and oh a lot gosh. of men quit because they lose. They burn off too much fat. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, I was going to mention pain tolerance because I just always go to that. It's like, okay, pain tolerance, women, that that's too, why, you yeah. know. But that's a that's a good point, too. So I guess when you when you get those those hips, you're like, all right, now I'm ready to hike the AT. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought I would lose weight. I didn't lose a single pound. So going back a little bit about the trail, like I said, Georgia to Maine, that's obviously an incredible distance. And you're going to be moving at a lot slower, even though it might not be as far as the biking one. You're obviously moving a lot slower. You're not cycling. You don't have any equipment. Maybe some hiking sticks. Did you use those? I guess you'd have to, right? Yep, yep, yeah, hiking sticks. So this one took several months, right? Yeah, so we started in March of uh, 2019, mm-hmm. and we finished in August, so five months. And when you were doing the bike and build, you were just graduating school so there wasn't as much of an obligation in your life in terms of work in terms of school just general responsibilities like you said you wanted to take some time and clearly you took a little bit more time you you went to Europe you moved which is really cool where were you at in life three years later doing the Appalachian Trail and like how did you have enough time because maybe this wasn't 
as much of a cost. This is more of your time off several months and you know at this point you're starting in your career, you graduated college. Yeah, I had worked at that point for two years in corporate world and I was just feeling like I needed a reset and more mental clarity. Yeah, so going here, back to that mental clarity. Yeah, here I yeah. am returning to try and walk my way to all of my life answers <laughs> or exercise my way. But I think to, that's great. I think yeah. there's obviously a long history. That's why there's all these pilgrimages on foot and stuff. I read this really good book, Walking to Listen. Have you heard of it? Or no, have you read I haven't. It? I, okay, after this, I have a copy. I'll give it to you. It's really good. But similarly, the author... I think graduate school and he just walks and his whole thing was walking to listen he wanted to listen to people's stories listen to strangers slept in strangers homes he did not huh. if he couldn't camp anywhere he would maybe just camp knock on someone's door and ask to camp in their backyard it was very much just wherever he stopped and yeah it gave him a lot of mental clarity it's it's a really good book so that's cool just walking anywhere yes wow. just walking anywhere and he walked from me he's actually i think was from either maine or pennsylvania and then he walked across. So it was a pretty good distance. Wow. When did you know this time that you wanted to do this? Obviously you knew about the biking one, not exactly a year before, maybe nine months before. So you had some time, you had to apply, yeah. you had to train. You also have to apply to hike the AT because there's only a certain amount of hikers that are allowed on the trail, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that part. So how long before that did you have to apply? Uh, I had been feeling like I wanted to stop working and like I needed to reevaluate what I was doing and you know, wasn't really liking Northern Virginia for a while, but it wasn't until November of 2018. I was out for a walk with my, um, one of my oldest, oldest friends, Mackenzie, who I've known since I was like three. And I asked for her advice about it and she said, you know, we're young why not? Like, mm-hmm. You have the resources, whatever job you have can wait. You know, you should go do it. Sounds like the perfect thing for you. Um, so she really convinced me that day. So I had from November until March to get ready. So like five months. And the application process, did that take very long? I honestly don't even remember the application. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of more of just a formality. Yeah, I think I waited until like February to do that. My number was 952. Kind of late to start, I guess. We started March 18th, but people had started as early as New Year's Day. So. Wow. What made you pick that time frame to, is that the most common time frame to hike it? Because I know you have to really time it well with the weather, of course. Mm-hmm. I think we were within a two-week window of the most popular start dates, and we picked it for that reason, because weather. Um, Did you have to do a lot of planning that went into it? Do you felt like it was a, a, an exorbitant amount? Was it manageable? Was it like taking a, a night class and planning for the AT? It was a lot. You know, I had been camping maybe five times before, and you know, with a air mattress that blew up from your car pump, and like yeah. I had been glamping five times <laughs> before. So yeah, that was a big yeah. This curve. is not glamping. This is roughing it. And there were plenty of forums and YouTube videos to watch, but nothing like the bike and build organization uh, supply list. You know that of gave. Of course. Did so, that make you nervous or excited going from an, a very structured type event and then going to an unstructured, completely on your own? You know, you still have to apply. You have to abide by this course, but at the end of the day, it's all on you. Yeah, it was more nerve wracking. There was comfort in the fact that 
so many other people were doing it at the same time mm -hmm. and everyone pretty much looks to buy the same gear because it's been tested by everyone it's totally doable and i encourage people to look into camping if they have interest in it because it's not as scary as it may seem have you hiked a lot i know you said you liked it but would you say that you hiked avidly frequently day hikes all the time but yeah like i said Nothing over and overnight, overnight. Yeah, I've never, I, I would say that I'm someone who likes to hike, but I've never done an overnight hike. I grew up in Shenandoah, so um, lived eight minutes from the park there. Yeah, was it just you and Chris, or did you hike with other people as you um, met on, on the trail? Yeah, we hiked on and off with other people the whole time. Um, we started the trail with two of our close friends, and we hiked through Virginia with them. So we did a good chunk, like 500 miles with, with them. And you started in Georgia. Yes. Which is the most common way to start. But I was yeah. reading that some people start in Maine. Yeah. Which is South Bounders. Yeah. yeah. South, yeah. South Bounders. There's kind of like this rivalry between really? Novos and Sobos. Novos and Sobos. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what was like the rival? I mean, would, were you offended if you met a Sobo on the road? Well, when you run into the Sobos, you've been hiking for four or five months and they've been hiking for one month. Oh. So they have this attitude, like, they have street cred because they've already done Maine and New Hampshire, which, which is the hardest best. part. Okay. But, so they have this attitude, like, you know, we're the best. Yeah. You know, we like, the it. worst is behind us. Yeah. We, we made it. And we have this attitude, like, you have no idea what kind of mental toughness is coming. Yeah. You know, just yeah. The, the length of this whole thing. Wow. Cool. And there seems, like, to be a lot of lingo on the trail, too. <laughs> so, you, yeah, you're already laughing. Like, North Bounders, South Bounders, Novo, Sobo. I know that you had a nickname on the trail, right? <laughs> yeah. So can you talk about, like, the lingo? and? Yeah, so everyone's uh, coming from different walks of life on the trail, and a lot of people are trying to restart their lives in a way. Wow. Or going through transitions. So there's this general desire for anonymity so everyone goes by a trail name and that's just I didn't nice... realize that that was I thought it was just a fun camaraderie like hey there pop rock like I don't know but that's beautiful and and so much deeper than just a funny nickname right I still don't know the real names of some of the people I keep in touch with wow yeah that's because I just have their number saved as their trail name and what was your trail name mine was the first one was solar rabbit but that one didn't stick because that was complicated and long a little different yeah so I ended up with tiny did you I'm like tiny yeah, yeah. And people have to give these nicknames to you. Yes, you can't self-declare a trail name. When did you get Tiny, and who gave you Tiny as a nickname? Oh, you know, that's a great question. Who was it? I think it was someone I never actually got their trail name. It was a random person in a shelter that was like, wow, you're a little lady. Like, you should go by Tiny or something. I, I, and I, it just stuck. Wow, I should have looked this up in my journal. I don't remember. Did you keep a journal while you were hiking? For the first month, I did. It was one of those things where like, yeah. I'm going to write every day, and then you're like, okay, this is actually a little too much. Yeah. My friends had better ones. I was with uh, Workshop, because he fixed everything, all the gear that broke. Fun. Uh, and Go-Gurt, um, because... Had a lot of Go-Gurts. Chugged a lot of Go-Gurt. <laughs> what are some other lingos and nicknames, or just terms of the AT that um, you could think of? So one good one is uh, trail magic, where random strangers will leave you things in the woods. Are those the angels? Yes, trail I angels. Trail angels. So sometimes encounter a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, they're very popular. Some people make vacations out of traveling to the AT to 
like cook hamburgers and hot dogs for oh my gosh yeah those are some interesting people there's a lot of community support for through hikers and it's wonderful because you really it makes your whole day when you're walking miles and miles and then you come upon like a beer in the woods like literally some people will do a day hike and leave a cooler full of beer on the trail oh my gosh that's awesome i hiked one part of the at when i was in georgia where was i blood mountain Oh, yeah. And I didn't see, I saw the markings for it all, but that would have been cool to see maybe, you know, a little care package. I should have left a care package. I, I didn't know about the trail at that time, but I just didn't leave anything. So that's cool to know that that's just one yeah. of them. Wow. When was the first time that you knew about the trail? Because I've always had a weird interest about the different trails. So it's technically part of the Triple Crown, right? So there's mm-hmm. the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, CTD, which is in the middle of the country, and then the Pacific Crest, PCT, which that one I would think is like the most famous just because the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed had turned into yeah. that movie. That was all about her hiking the PCT. But I first heard about it way before that when I was really little, and I was reading an American Girl magazine. I know, did you get those when you were little? Yes, I did. So I remember reading about this girl, and I think, you know, she was probably 10, 12, that tween kind of age, and hiked it with her family or something, or did part of it. I don't know. It was one of those inspiring, empowering segments, and I was like, I'm going to do that one day, and I'm going to do the Triple Crown, and now I'm like, oh, God, I don't know about any of this. But did you know about it? Yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, 10 minutes from the trail. Gotcha. Okay, oh, so that part in Shenandoah is part of the trail. Yeah, so I got to walk home from Georgia, which was really cool. But, yeah, I mean, growing up, you go on the AT, and that's just part of... Yeah. Did you know people growing up who had done it? No, I don't think I had met a thru-hiker until Bike and Build. I think two of those people had already done it. Or, no. Makes sense. He did it the year after Bike and Build. Kind of overlapping interests there, so that makes sense. Any favorite memories from hike in general? What are some maybe from different points along the course that stand out to you? The trip to get down there stands out to me um, in my memory. So we started our road trip down to Georgia in New York. We were staying friends in Westchester County and we had booked a rental car in the city. We got dropped off in the, or we took the train into the city. Oh God. So we're on the, the, uh, yeah, we're on the, you know, commuter train, what, I don't know what it's called in New York. You're on the Metro North. Yes. <laughs> I got you. Trail packs, you oh know, God. all ready to go. And everyone's like on their morning commute. Like, yes. what are these guys getting all <laughs> We get into Times Square where our rental car Stop. is supposed to be. We Why couldn't to... you just rent a car in Westchester? Because I left the planning up to someone else and oh, this is what oh happened. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> They got a deal, I think. Makes it makes life interesting. They scored a great deal on this car, but the car was not there in Times Square. <laughs> so you get to Times Square. I'm picturing something from like the life. What's what's that Kimmy Schmidt show on Netflix where she's like the scene where she walks in her little backpack in Times Square, but obviously yours is the size of your whole body. <laughs> yes. Where did you have to go? We had to get an Uber to Brooklyn, and then we ended up getting a minivan in Brooklyn. That was a you know, strange start to the story. Yeah, I bet. That's crazy. Okay, so that's something that stands out from the, the beginning, beginning stage. Before we even it. started. What's something that you remember from the middle portions? In the middle, um, you know, my house is right in the middle where I grew mm-hmm. up. The two weeks before we got to Shenandoah, booked it like crazy. We walked like 25 miles a day because we were so ready for, you know, to That's be a home. marathon on your legs. Yeah. Each day during those peak portions of walking. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, Virginia's pretty chill. It's like, 
rolling hills, you know, not anything crazy, but it was a lot. By the time we got to my house, uh, we're pretty pooped. How many hours a day was that of walking on average? Jeez, um, from like 6 a.m. to sometimes 7 or 8 p.m. So over yeah. 12 hours. Yeah, all day. And for the bike challenge, how many hours? Because we talked about like the miles, but yeah. how, how much did that equate to in hours? If you're doing a century in the heat out west, it century would, is 100 miles a day, yeah. I'm guessing? Okay. Then it would take about 12, 14 so, hours, but, and but you're taking same. a lot of breaks. Okay. You know? um, Similar lengths of time, though. Normally on the bike trip, though, we were done by like two or three. Okay. In the middle of the trip, uh, right after we visited my house, we did what's called the Aqua Blaze where instead of hiking Shenandoah National Park, you take the river. Oh, so in a kayak? In a canoe. In a canoe. Yes. And is that looked down upon, like the Sobo Nobu thing? Yeah. I would imagine so, and not in a bad way. I mean, power to you, you know, do that awkward blaze, but like, I'm sure there's annoying people out there who are like, that's cheating. You did not walk all 2,000. You walked 2,100 miles. There are all kinds of ways you can cheat in your through hike. One of the most common ones is called slack packing, where you have someone drive your pack from where you start to where you end up that day. Yeah. We never did that. Then yellow blaze, where you take a shortcut, and we never did that. So we were yeah. like, all right, we're going to have our one cheat, and that's going to be the yeah. aqua blaze. It's like your one hall pass with the, with yes. the trails. So it's about five days on the river, 20 wow. miles a day, which is a lot in a canoe. Bought the canoe off Craigslist at the beginning, got dropped off in the river. <laughs> yeah, and then what do you do with the canoe when you're done with We it? literally gave it to the first guy we saw at the, at the pullout spot. Wow. And he was happy to take it. We got lucky. We didn't have to deal with it. Hey, that's great. Yeah, but we did imagine. tear a four-inch hole in it. Halfway How do you tear there. a hole in a canoe? I'm picturing like a wooden. I must be wrong here. It's not a wooden canoe. It's maybe with the uh, canvas, not canvas, but it's like plastic. It oh. was. It was not anything special. It was a rinky-dink little raft. <laughs> I'm picturing it like a. Uh, very craftsman, handmade, indigenous no. looking water <laughs> vessel, clearly, because that does not match what I was thinking of. But that's the water funny. was really low in the in the river when we did it, and that's why we, so you hit, a rock we hit rocks. Yeah. yeah. And we tore a oh hole in it. We had we got really lucky in that moment. We were not prepared for a hole in the canoe. It started sinking. <gasps> and you know, we're in like rapids. We're in an intense part of the river. And Man, I just have so many questions about all these experiences. <laughs> what? We got really lucky that there was another person out there that had flex tape. You know, like the as seen the, on like, TV yeah. flex tape. And he's like, this can hold thousands and of water. Oh my god. It works. It does. It works. We okay, heard it here first, not sponsored, but flex tape. <laughs> yes. It's there for you when you rip a hole in your canoe uh, halfway down the AT. That's crazy. Yeah, so middle part. And then you're ending in Maine. Mm-hmm. You said that New Hampshire and Maine were the hardest. Mm-hmm. Why are they the hardest? Obviously, there's some really big mountain peaks up there. Mm-hmm. Is, is that generally why? Is it the weather? Is it just because that's when your body's the most tired? It's mostly the terrain. It's really um, rocky and really steep. Mm-hmm. The weather was pretty good. We, it was August, so, yeah. you know, muggy and buggy, but, like, not, you know, dangerous weather. Did it rain often? We got lucky. I think we had... A dry year. Ten days that we hiked in the rain. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, 
hiking in the rain's terrible. But um, yeah, no, we got lucky. Yeah, New Hampshire and Maine are are tough climbing all around. There are some parts where you literally have to rock climb with your pack on. There's like rebar in the rocks in some places. To hang on to. Yeah, there's a famous spot called Mahusik Knot, which is only I think two miles long, but it takes most people a whole day to get through. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Feel scared on any of those parts? A little bit because a. I think a lady the day before us that was a through hiker broke her leg there wow. and had to get airlifted out. It's probably pretty dense forest very remote in some of those parts. Mm-hmm. You've always got someone coming behind you. You just got to make it through. Were you kind of keeping abreast of those things? You know, the news, um, what other hikers' experience were that year? Did you follow any kind of accounts or were you kind of insular and just thinking, you know, I'm going to make my own out of this. I don't want to let that kind of paint an experience for me. Word travels up and down the trail really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, just about silly things, but also about... I'm sure helpful things, too. Yes. Uh, there was a situation when we were in Virginia where we were 100 miles north of, but there was actually a homicide on the wow. trail. And we found out about it, not through our phones, because we didn't have any service, uh-huh. but through the, the hiking network. And by the time we got service, we, all of our relatives were calling us like, was it you? Was yeah, it you? Wondering. Yeah. Did you feel generally safe? I mean, of course, you're hiking with another man, so that's going to be a different experience than if you did it solo with another female friend. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, you know, bears run away from you in on the East Coast. They're <gasps> not, you know, scary. Uh, and on other... the East Coast, do West Coast bears not run? I mean, grizzlies, you know, you got to be careful. But, yeah, um, I had never thought of it like that. Other humans, for the most part, are safe. As do you well. think you would ever do something like that by yourself? Probably not. Well, I told you a stat just before this and you clearly did a lot of research before you went on your hike obviously I would I would think you would some people though you know they just want to wing it and which is amazes me but we were talking before about some of the people who had finished the AT before in its kind of uh, infancy and the first female solo through hiker was a woman by the name of Emma Gatewood and she completed the AT in 1955 she was 67 years old she had a 11 kids and she was a survivor of domestic violence and she just became one of the most famous solo through hikers and of course female through hikers of the AT being the first one to complete that so that was a really cool inspiring story she did it in Keds and you said she just carried a knapsack right Linda yeah that's what they call it you yeah know, like just a little pillowcase, back, a little pillowcase backpack so if you want to be inspired by other women who have done the AT I thought that that was really cool today when we were looking at things yeah I mean it just goes to show you like you can be super prepared and failed if your attitude's not right and you mm. can be super underprepared and do the whole thing like barefoot if your attitude's right and wow you don't get hurt <laughs> let that one sit for a little bit that's so true and then you're in new hampshire you're in maine what's something that stands out about ending this whole experience how did you feel in the moment how did you feel afterwards well i got engaged at the very end that was a big moment. were you gonna was it was that one of your next questions i, I was just asking in general <laughs> i didn't know if you would i don't want to make this like a love story <laughs> Yes, clearly an athletic feat. That was, but yeah, you can't leave that out. <laughs> I was just gonna bring it up and like see what you said. <laughs> that was definitely the the highlight of the end. I didn't see it coming, and you know what a amazing moment to get to the summit of Katahdin and be like, whoa! Like, what time of day was it when the proposal happened? Uh, like ten a.m. 
okay. in the morning. We got up super early that day. Um, and I know I've asked you this before, but Chris had the ring for part of the trip, right? Yeah, we went to a Walmart. Thank you, Walmart. <laughs> Again, not sponsored. Again, shout out Walmart. <laughs> I think it was the last Walmart on the trail in Vermont. And he like just nonchalantly asked me like, oh, like what kind of rings do you like? And I pointed at one, uh, just like not thinking of anything. I think yeah. I was really hungry, actually, and just, just wanting snacks. Bars. <laughs> but he went back later and bought it as a, a stand-in ring, not as my official ring. But, yeah. um, and then he ordered a custom-made box to the last hostel wow. before the 100-mile wilderness. And so at the very end of the trail, there's 100 miles where there's no roads mm. and no way to get out. Other than to get to Katahdin. Damn. Yeah. You were committed at that point. Yeah. Um, so he got the box delivered to the last possible spot and carried the box. And did you stay at a lot of hostels? Kind of segue there. Five or six days. Okay. Nice. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot on the trail. I imagine. You gotta get out of the woods. You can't do it. Yeah. And, and that might be another thing, right? That people are like, that's cheating. But, you know, or not, not cheating, but just bending it a little bit. So. Oh, you gotta get more food. You gotta resupply. You can't think of a better way to end the trail. And then so. we had to hitchhike for an hour. Oh my gosh. Just reality. Did you, have you hitchhiked a lot before? I've never no. hitchhiked. No, my... Just that one time? Uh, no, we did on the bike trip too, a little bit. But um, it was definitely more intense, like having no other option than to hitchhike in several situations. I'm sure they're used to it up there. Like you said, yeah. there's people who do vacations based off of that. I'm sure anyone in, what is it, Katal... Katahdin. Katahdin. Yeah. I'm going to say it wrong. I apologize, my main <laughs> friends. I know I have made friends with me. Yes, I'm sure that they have a lot of people who are just used to that. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's where they live there, just to pick up the hikers. You know, nothing bad has ever happened to me hitchhiking, except um, I did get bit by a chihuahua once. Oh that my was gosh. One of the, the cars. <laughs> that, was, that was in Georgia. Nice. Well, that's good. If that's going to be your worst experience hitchhiking, that's a pretty good experience. <laughs> so reflecting on all these things we talked about, we talked about bike and build, we talked about hiking the AT, also snuck in a little bit there about all these different places that you lived. My reasoning for bringing you on is just that I want this whole podcast to be about meandering pathways. And obviously everyone has a journey, you know, that's a cliche that goes without being said, but really about people who do it Sometimes unintentionally, of course, right? Things just pop up. Like you said, you, you dated someone, they told you about bike and build, uh, you know, you decided to go to Boston. Some of these things are not obviously within our control, but you definitely are a person that's drawn to specific types of activity, like you said, for your mental clarity, for the sake of adventure and seek those out. And the more that you get involved in it, the more, you know, you set your mind out. You're running marathons now, cycling. So any, any new adventures that are on the horizon or things like that? There is a lofty five-year goal in the works to canoe the Mississippi. Oh, okay. So that that canoe experience did not deter you with the no, with the, no. I need. You. I probably need the canoe that you're dreaming of yeah. in order to do it. Um, we'll we'll start chopping down some trees by your new house <laughs> and we'll work on it. But I gotta get more practice in on the water. Um, yeah, that that seems like you need a good bit. Yeah. I wanted to end on this question thinking about the different pathways that you've had. If you could go back to yourself at the beginning of Bike and Build, at the beginning of maybe leaving Virginia and living in all these different places, or beginning of hiking the AT, you can pick one of the three. What would you tell that version of yourself? It doesn't have to be advice. (laughs) 
It could be, oh my God, they'll never believe like this happened or something that they need to heed to, like, you know, silly advice, like don't, don't eat that on the trail that <laughs> night or, you know, don't be friends with this person or something or just something you're proud of, like that you would want your younger self to know. I think I would tell myself to not have any expectations. You know, I, like I've, I've said so many times already in this hour, like I went into it seeking answers mm. and telling myself, okay, you're going to figure out this problem in your life. Yeah. And that never actually happened on any of the journeys I went on. I had like a lot of cool experiences and met a lot of people and a lot of great memories made. But the one thing I was seeking, I never really got until I actually did therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out therapy. <laughs> Shout out therapy. Um, yes. <laughs> so you yes. can't find the meaning of life by bringing your body to exhaustion <laughs> but you can make some good memories yes. along the way you can have yeah. a hell of it a time and you can lead yourself to new pathways in life regret it no i love that answer and that's really what this is all about right learning those lessons and then readjusting and reassessing based on what you learn i think people who have moved in a lot of cities can definitely relate to that you know find out what you like you're like okay this this part was great this part not so much you reassess and you move on to something else. So yeah. that's really cool that you were able to take all of that away from those experiences and just get really fit in the process. <laughs> a lot of fun to be outside. I mean, that's amazing. Anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted mm -hmm. to mention? Just be grateful for your body. You know, it can do amazing things. Well, thank you, Linda. You are amazing. And I'm happy that you got to be my first person. So much oh, at ease. And I feel like that's just how you are and how you carry yourself. And I could see that working well for you in these types of challenges that would otherwise utterly freak me out. So really <laughs> no, cool Oh, right back you at you, sister. I mean, I can't think of someone more perfect to be a storyteller in this format. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you took away anything in particular from this episode, feel free to leave a rating or message me on Instagram at meanderwithmaddie. I'm so excited for you to hear what I'm working on right now. It's an episode with someone super, super special in my life. Again, check out the Instagram to follow up on those episodes to come. And until we meander together again, I hope you have a great day, everyone.